Welcome to the Fearless Women Podcast. We're inspiring conversations for the unafraid. I'm Janice McDonald, founder of The Beacon Agency, author, and global champion for women. Why am I making this show? Because I want to share the inspiring stories of women leaders in business, arts and culture, politics, and more with all of you. Hear how they've chosen to go forward and be bold and make the world a better place, even when it wasn't easy to do. Subscribe now wherever you find podcasts. On today's show, Catherine Cooligan, lawyer, champion of women leaders and dedicated volunteer. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks so much, John. It's happy to be here. So fearless is by definition not afraid or at least being bold. What's the last kind of scary, fearless thing you've done? Well, I would have to say this is very timely for me because the last thing was last week when I did my TED Talk. Yes. I was surprised at how much I was afraid of that experience. Turned out to be wonderful, but it was definitely fearful going in. So, of course, because not only is it scary when you kind of step onto that little red dot, but more than that, you also have to qualify. You don't just say, oh, I'd like to do a TED Talk now. That's right. So the audition is a five-minute audition, and that I was afraid to do as well. (laughs) Uh, But that worked out, too, because I was chosen to do the full TED Talk. So in a case like that, did you put your name forward? Like, how did you decide, like, hmm, this might scare me, but I'm going to do it anyways? It was a chance. That's the way I looked at it. I thought I saw that uh, we could apply to uh, put in a pitch to do it. Yeah. And I thought that it would be an exciting thing to do at the time. And often this is the case for me. Things sound great until they're right there in front of me. And then I'm like, why did I do this? <laughs> I've had that before where, like you, I get excited about uh, a unique opportunity. And then I kind of go on that journey and then think, hmm, maybe I can be sick that day. How can I get out of it? You know, in that moment, right? When to your point when you feel sort of like, oh, why did I say yes? And then, of course, I remember, wait a sec, I wanted to do this. Exactly. So do you have a special phrase or how do you approach kind of uh, talking yourself um, through that that sort of fear or, you know, just kind of facing challenges? So I do have one, and it was the refrain through my whole TED Talk. So my TED Talk was about tackling fear. Yes. And uh, the line that I use repeatedly was, say yes, forge ahead, you'll figure it out. And that's what I have applied in all of the things that I've done that I thought I wasn't ready for or that I couldn't do or that I was afraid of doing. Forge ahead. Such practical advice. So something that was unique in your TED experience is people jumped to their feet and gave you a standing ovation. So congrats on that. That's amazing. Thank you. But what is it? Did people tell you what kind of moved them in particular about, did you tell a special story? Like, what is it that you think made you connect so powerfully with your audience? I think it was that I really was personally vulnerable mm. in my talk. So I started my story Uh, talking about women in law and and the challenges of women in law, and then took them through my journey that included becoming a partner on the day that my five-month-old son died. And so I talked about the juxtaposition of those two things on the one day, you know, where I had this incredible uh, milestone accomplishment in my career. 
and how much that had been such an important focus for me. So having that, and, and I think it was the vulnerability of sharing that story and then following through with that all the way through my career uh, to talk about the challenges that I had and being very vulnerable and saying, when I was presented with leadership positions, I didn't think I was ready. I didn't think I was good enough. Mm. So I think that it was a combination of sharing my personal story, sharing the vulnerabilities of that, um, as well as giving the strong message and really, um, I called it a rallying cry mm. to women to not self-select out because they're afraid, to face their fear, forge ahead and know that you'll figure it out. And I gave so many examples of where that applied to me and where I was so happy that I did forge ahead and that I did figure it out. This is an incredible story, Catherine. How can you share how, because as a mother myself, I can't even imagine that journey. Um, and yet the, the incredible juxtaposition um, at that time too. So tell us more about, you know, what do you tell young women and how do you, how do you move through this kind of, um, really something it's even so hard to imagine. What's important to me is that when women are looking at uh, the women ahead of them, uh, that they not feel that they can't do it. I've had so many people say, you've accomplished so much. And, and, you know, I've said that to so many women. And the reality is that we all have our own journey. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anyone has a journey without challenges. Now, my challenge was a unique challenge and one that I would never want anyone to have to experience. No. But we all have those challenges. Yes. And so when you see a very successful woman, understand that she has overcome so many things to be where she is. And you will too. It's not about, you know, the, the, the final destination. You know, it's about that journey and how you handle each of the challenges that you're faced with and knowing that, I mean, this is the message that I want women to get is that you will overcome them. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. So what if I take you back to that incredibly challenging time in your life, but also professionally an exciting time, but you must have needed uh, support, obviously. Um, tell us about who do you turn to? at a time like that? Did you, is it a tribe of women? Do you, is it family? Like what, what helped you on this um, journey? So absolutely. It, it, it really is about every challenge. It's about, you know, bringing in the resources that are available to you and knowing what they are. So um, I, I went for professional counseling and that made a really big difference. I had the incredible support of my family uh, both of my parents were very involved in the care of my son while he was at the children's hospital. He spent his whole five months at the children's okay. hospital. Okay. Um, and then I, I call them Justin's family, which is, that's my son's name. The, the nurses and the social workers who spent, you know, so much time with us over those five months, they were an incredible support to me. And even now, we're almost 22 years later. Yeah. We still keep in touch with oh, many of them. That's amazing. Uh, so it really is. And then my personal friends and my colleagues at work as yes. well. I had a lot of support from my colleagues, especially coming back to work. You know, that's a challenge because 
it's it's an, even a challenge for people encountering you. Like I yes. also learned how to almost comfort the people who were um, uncomfortable with me, not knowing how to, you know, address me when they saw me for the first time after what had happened. So um, I really was lucky that I had incredible support from all over. So is that kind of the secret to your strength is bringing in that help, those resources? Do you really, you count on it? Sounds like. Yes, I think it's, I mean, I think that it's critical. I also think that um, I had incredible um, role models of strength within my family. You know, I was very, very close to my maternal grandmother and I've always seen her always, always as a very strong woman. She was widowed, you know, in her 50s and lived on a farm. And I, I mean, I can still remember her in her 70s out in her garden. Um, and then my father as well, he was very, um, very strong in terms of his uh, values and his work ethic. And, you know, he really influenced me in those ways. So I had that, you know, in my family growing up. Uh, my mother who, you know, uh, after my brother was born, um, she became a stay-at-home mother and dedicated her life to us and, you know, was there for us all the time. So I did have a lot of great examples of strength right in my family. That's amazing. So take us back to the 10-year-old Catherine. What was that girl like? Okay, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I had a crush on David Cassidy from the Partridge <laughs> family. Um, I think it was around that time. Um, that would make sense. I was, I was um, raised in the city and in the country. So both of my parents are from Lusqueville, Quebec, just outside of uh, Ottawa. And we spent our weekends there and all of our vacations there. So, you know, I'd be out on the farm. Haying time was one of the, the most fun times for me. And, you know, even probably around 10, I was allowed to drive the tractor a little bit. What I remember uh, in terms of a social circle at that time, it was the neighborhood friends. It's so different now when I think about, you know, with my children, it's not the same. But we would be out and meet at the park. Uh, I remember days of building snow forts that, you know, one would start one end of the block, one would start at the other, and you keep digging until you meet each other. <laughs> so, uh, and I, in terms of school, I was probably an average student. I didn't really focus on marks or anything. I mean, obviously a 10-year-old isn't, but I don't remember school being a, a really strong point in my life. I was a good student. I remember all of my report cards saying that I wouldn't participate. People would laugh at that now. <laughs> and here you are, the family law, a family law lawyer at Canada's largest national law firm, Bordner, Ladner, Gervais, and the regional managing partner of the Ottawa office. So uh, what do you say to people when they're worried about their kids uh, focused on marks or, or getting those notes back from uh, the teacher saying doesn't participate? So what I would say is we are all evolving. I am still evolving. Um, and what a 10-year-old is focused on at that time and how they're doing in school is not what they're, what they're going to be doing when they're at university. And it really wasn't until the later years in high school when I really started to focus on my marks. And I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I was lucky in that way. You did. I did. Because, like, how did you even know what a lawyer was? You know, like, well, that's you, a good yeah. question because 
I remember when I got my first part-time job, which was in my uncle's law firm. And my father said, you know, at that time, you know, the staff, we were called secretaries. Right. And my father said, you know, they, they'll hire you to do secretarial work. And I said, but a lawyer's in court. What's the paper? What are they typing? So that I had no true concept yeah. of the day-to-day of being a lawyer. And then, but working in that law firm, as I started as a grade 12 student, uh, I learned obviously so much and then understood really what it was to be a lawyer. And there's so much paperwork. But I think what it was um, for me was the desire to advocate. That mm. wasn't the word at the time, yes. uh, you know, in my younger mind, but it was to fight for something. And I think that's how I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Nationally, you're regarded for your really like stellar support of emerging women leaders. So is that where that came from? You know, you're, you're always looking for opportunities to pave the way for um, emerging women leaders. Is that kind of, did that start in those kind of fighting for advocacy kind of days? Is this, cause it looks like it's been a ribbon throughout your career. I think so. The women leader part really came later in my career. I would say at the early part, it was about advocating for my clients. Okay. And that's why family law really was my passion. still is my passion because it's an area of law where you, you are making such a difference in people's lives. So as my career evolved, and I didn't know, obviously, when I started my practice, that being a woman leader would be an important thing for me. I think where that came from was being in a law firm where there weren't women leaders um, and wanting to be one, seeing the men up there and wanting to see a woman there and wanting to be one myself. And I feel like I had to, in a way, push my way into those things. Uh, And I would like to have an impact in a way that makes it easier for other women to become the leader. Yes. Uh, And I don't want to see, to me, I don't want anybody to feel that they can't be what they want to be. And there are not a lot of women role models in leadership positions in a lot of professions. Correct. Law in particular is one of them. Um, And I've only ever practiced in a large national law firm. Before BLG, I was in another large national law firm. And back in the 80s when I started, there were very few women partners. And there were no women leaders at any of these. Right, okay. Um, And now, I mean... BLG has really given me the opportunity to learn about being a leader, to have the experience. And it's something that I have really enjoyed. And I want to see more women leaders. Yeah. So I want to talk about mentorship. But just before that, take us back to how you felt in those early days looking around and not seeing um, women leaders. Like, what was that like? So it was a challenge. I saw it as a challenge. I felt that I could change it. I don't know why I felt that, but I did. I felt that I could see more women up there, and I always knew I wanted to be there, even though I saw, you know, the very bleak future (laughs) in it. But it's turned out, here I am. The path wasn't clear, but you knew your your sort of uh, commitment was unwavering. Yes, I wanted to do it. And 
there were other women who wanted to do it. And I realized that we can hold ourselves back before anybody else can. So if we are the ones who are saying, you know, women can't do it or I can't do it, then we can't really be saying anything about the opportunities that aren't open to us. Right. And so has mentorship been important in your career? I know you mentor women uh, all the time now, but what about uh, for you? Were there mentors helping you along? So I definitely had great mentors throughout my career, Uh, more men than women, because there weren't a lot of women to mentor me. Um, And I would say certainly from on a a leadership perspective, um, definitely the men have been my mentors and they have been fantastic. And I, I have to say that I am so lucky. I've learned so much from them. I have felt completely supported by them. And I don't think that I would have been able to succeed without them. So I'm very grateful for the mentorship that I've had. It would have been nice as a younger woman to have women mentor me, uh, but they just weren't there. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it's like when you're a trailblazer, Catherine. <laughs> I guess that's it. It is. So what is it like to work at uh, Canada's largest national law firm, BLG? And of course, you have uh, this important leadership role in the Ottawa office. So give us, what's a typical day for Catherine like and probably you're going to say they're not typical, right? <laughs> there well, is that's no- <laughs> true. Um, they're all very busy days and very long days. Um, so I have a dual role. When, so when I go into the office, I can have any number of things. So I might be in court. So I have my practice. I have my clients. I have my team. Uh, and so dealing with the clients, obviously, uh, that is a big part of my day, going to court. And then there will be management Meetings, both, you know, regional management meetings, national management meetings, working with the staff, working with my management team, my business services team. So every day is a little bit different, but it's some combination of those responsibilities. And I have to say the Ottawa office has a strong culture of family and support. So our staff are often doing, you know, a a charity raffle, charity events, uh, team building events. So in any opportunity we have to bring people together to celebrate, we're doing that too. So that's another part of a typical day there. So if um, anybody reads your bio, they, not only is it impressive for the accomplishments, but it's equally impressive for the many different volunteer organizations that you've had played a significant and continue to play a significant role in. How do you decide, because we've just heard how busy those days are, how does Catherine say, hmm, yes, I'm going to help here and, or I can't do this. Or like, you know, do you have a strategy? Because, uh, you know, talking to other uh, amazing women there, you know, it's always, how do we find I don't know, is it balance or whatever it is? How do you make those decisions around who gets that precious, uh, you know, extra time in your schedule? So something that I have always strived for is what I call work-life integration. So that's how I've applied parenting and working. And I would say that that's how I apply, you know, my volunteer work. So if I'm doing something on a volunteer basis, that I really enjoy, something I want to be involved in, something that I get something back from, then it's not all work. Right. And it becomes part of my life. So it's, it's 
the giving, but it's also the receiving. So obviously, I mean, my biggest and my longest role is with the Children's Hospital Foundation. Yes. Um, And so that obviously is a very special place for me. That was my son's home. Yes. And they were, that hospital was so good to us. And it's so important to me that we give back. And so I understand when I'm, when I see the stories and I know where the money is going and the impact that it's having, it gives me so much joy to be able to give back to a place that was so good to us. Um, And then there's so many people that you meet as you're doing this and they become part of your life too. Yes. So you know, you're doing things together. So I do a lot of work with the Royal as well. And that's the hospital for mental health. Yes. In our city. Yeah. And that, that hospital, um, they do a fundraiser, which is the run for women. And that is such a great day. And we, we put together a team. We have our young lawyers. Now last year we did a team of women, but it doesn't have to be a team of women. Uh, And so there's another example where we had, we put a lot of effort into it and it's time to plan and organize and there's always responsibilities with it. But what a great day we had and so much fun. So I like to choose what I believe in, what I have a passion for and where I know I'm going to feel really good and get something back from what I'm giving. So each of these causes are so close to your heart and it's uh, easy to give an endless amount of time and, and money, obviously, because they're doing such great work. So do you have a, um, you know, how do you establish those parameters? Because you also have competing demands in terms of career and, you know, your professional um, requirements. So do you have a stop doing list? Do you, do you allocate time? Like what's your strategy? Yeah, I should have a stop doing list <laughs> and I should be better at saying no. I think that I'm not a very good role model for that. I think I probably say yes too much, but I would say that really it's just the limitations of my schedule that ends up controlling Uh. (laughs) and limiting what I can and can't do. Right. Um, And I have a very busy practice. I have a very, and and that is my, that was my first passion. And I still, my best days are the days that I'm in court uh, or I'm, you know, settle a case with a client. Those are the best. And so that will often limit too. Yes. So during certain trial periods, I know I'm not available for things and I will be very conscious of saying no during those periods of time. So I would say I don't have strategies in that. I right. don't think I'm very good at it. Yes. Uh, but it's really just the, the constraints within my life that limit that. Well, it sounds, though, like you have a strategy in the sense that, you know, work comes first and you make it clear to people I'll be in court. So my ability to do X at this time is going to be limited. Yeah, that's true. Right? So I guess in a way it's managing expectations. But give us a sense. What what is um, what is a family law lawyer actually do? So a family law lawyer has a lot of roles. It isn't first and it really the goal is never to be going to court. Okay. So it is understanding your client's interests right from the very beginning and then working with them in terms of educating them and supporting them through the process and then working with opposing counsel. Today, there are a lot of self-represented litigants. So oh. sometimes I'll be working with their spouse directly. And why has that changed? The rules have become uh, a lot more user-friendly and the court system has, I would say, 
made it easier for people to represent themselves. There's no question that legal fees are expensive and people often will believe in a family law case. I think this is my personal view. They think, well, it's, I know my family and what's best for my family. I don't need to tell a lawyer. I'm not going to pay a lawyer just to be my mouthpiece. Now, it's much more than that. We aren't just the mouthpiece. And there's a lot of uh, strategy and rules and processes that I think you really need a lawyer for. So sometimes we are, you know, we're negotiating, we're exchanging information. And I do a lot of high conflict custody cases. So I end up being in court a lot because a lot of those cases, the conflict just prevents any early resolution. So court can be several appearances before you actually get to a trial. I would say it probably takes about two years to really get your case to a trial, just based on many things, including how long it takes just to get your initial information work with other professionals, psychologists, assessors. There's any number of things that will happen between the initial retainer and when you get to trial. That's a long journey. <laughs> long, expensive journey. Yeah. So it's especially, you know, at the example you gave of the high conflict cases, how do you, Catherine, leave the stress of family law behind? Like, do, What's your strategy? Obviously, volunteer work is is very rewarding, but... Are there other things that you're doing? I would say the most important thing and what has helped me the most is having my team. So I have my team. I have a law clerk. I have junior lawyers. Uh, We support one another. We share the load uh, because it can be very emotionally taxing. It can be very exhausting. Mm -hmm. And we support one another. I would say that I'm lucky now that at this level of my career that I do have the women in leadership interests that I'm that I have. I am doing management and that is taking me away uh, and will give me a little bit of a break from that. There's no question that I take it home with me. You know, when I'm in, in the middle of a high conflict custody trial, it stays with me. And again, it's just about what we talked about earlier, having the resources And that's having the support, which really, because of the confidentiality of the cases of what you're doing and people not really understanding what it feels like, your team really is your best support. Because they they're they're, living it with they're living it with you. So you so everybody, you've got this great team that you can rely on and they can rely on you. And yeah, I think that's so helpful when I just try to imagine what it's like to be in that kind of a setting, you know, that high stress at times. Uh, real challenge. And so uh, I think that's a really important takeaway, though, for anybody, depending on, on it really doesn't matter what the role is, you need to find those places and, and team of support. No, absolutely. And the people is the people who understand what you're doing, who will be your biggest support. Mm-hmm. So what about reading? What are you reading right now? Are you an avid reader? Are you is it all work reading because you read so much for work? What's kind of Catherine's approach? So I have so little time to read and I read so much for work that I am not, I wouldn't consider myself to be an avid reader, but I am reading all the time. Um, I am actually now reading uh, Michelle Obama's book that I got for Christmas. So I am reading and I'm really enjoying it, but it will take me a long time just because of time. But I'm, I'm continually reading on my phone 
Uh, whenever I have a break, I will take a, a look for um, articles on women in leadership, um, different kinds of articles of what women are doing. So a lot of my, my reading is focused on women. Yes. Uh, some women in leadership, but just even, you know, what women are doing. Yes. And, and why is the, the women in leadership so important to you? Because it's, it, it's an area where I think we have a lot of work to do. And it's an area where I feel very privileged right now that I can call myself a woman leader because I am the managing partner of the Ottawa office, which puts me into a senior leadership role. And I'm, you know, one woman, the only woman of our five regional managing partners. So I feel that I have a platform now and I want to make sure that I use it to the benefit of other women and support women becoming leaders. And have there been any other women in this role in your firm? There was, uh, we did have one other woman regional managing partner in our Vancouver office a few years ago. So I'm not the first woman in the regional managing partner role. But you're still trailblazing because uh, you're the only one. I'm the only one now. Now, and it's, I, I feel privileged. I really feel privileged. And it's the firm that has given me that opportunity. Absolutely. So, and, and BLG really is focused on supporting women. And that starts from, you know, when we bring our students in, when they become associates, bringing women into partnership. It's, it really is a focus. And I feel very, as I say, I keep saying the word privilege, but it is. I am privileged to have the opportunity to be part of the support of women in our firm and women in law. And here you are in this role now that you envisioned and hoped and imagined was possible. Exactly. What you, yeah. What do you think it means for young women lawyers in your firm to, to know that you're in this role? So I don't have to think. I know because I have great women in my office, great women in my firm. And they thank me all the time. They support me on social media. Uh, anything that, you know, if I'm nominated for an award or I win an award, you know, they are thrilled. They spread it around. They support me. Yeah. So again, I get as much from them as I give to them. Yes. Uh, so I know that it means a lot to them because when they see me there, they know they can be there. And when we think about, uh, you know, this incredible journey of imagining and then now you're living it. So what's your advice to uh, emerging women leaders about their career? So my advice is what my father told me when I was a young girl. You can be anything you want to be and decide what that is and go and do it. And today what I would say is, there's so many resources available to make that happen. So remember what I said, say yes, forge ahead, you'll figure it out. But understand that on that journey of yes, forge ahead, figure it out, there is a whole uh, group of women, men, resources available to you to use to get you there. And you will figure it out. I mean, that is my message. Do it. You will figure it out. Yeah. And I would add... Um, which I think has been inherent in everything that you've said today is also ask for help. Yes, ask for help. It <laughs> right. will. You will get the help. Anytime I ask for help, I mean, I sat in a hospital room with a baby for five months. And the help that I got, some of it I had to ask for, but a lot of it I didn't. And I think that is a surprise that women will find too. 
Put yourself out there and help will come to you. Yes. Inspiring words. Final question. What's your dream, Catherine, for Canada? My dream for Canada is that she offers a home and a life for her people that is devoid of discrimination and judgment, that is equal in terms of opportunity regardless of race, religion, sexual orientation, gender, the whole list, um, and that her land grow and are preserved, all of the beautiful nature that we have in our country for all the generations to come. Beautiful. Catherine Cooligan, lawyer, champion of women leaders and dedicated volunteer. It has been amazing to have you today on the Fearless Women podcast. Thanks so much, Janice. Thanks for listening. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite app and follow us on Instagram at Fearless Women Podcast. Thank you to BDC, the bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs for your support of the Fearless Women Podcast. We love smart companies that want to amplify women's voices. For more information, go to bdc.ca slash women.